Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. This topic, you know, I did something last week and I think I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about it because I'd be interesting to hear Ira's point of view on this as well. But Ira, I did a thing. It was a friend of mine actually sent me. It was kind of a, a video. I guess it was a YouTube video, if I remember correctly. And I pulled audio from it. And I thought it was really good because it was just talking about the media. Uh, we were getting into this whole conversation regarding how the dollar was no longer going to be dominant. The dollar was going to lose value versus other currencies because of China and Japan. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because it just seems like it's been the conversation all week with people that didn't hear the segment, of course, is about just the distress that people are feeling right now. And they're feeling so distressed. <laughs> Because look at all the news. I mean, even even Matt even Matt Murphy was talking about this this week. How he walked away from the TV and how much better he felt when he did that. But just check out this segment and I'll make some comments regarding this. The end might not be near. Doom might not be inevitable, but not according to the news. After a weekend of dramatic White House emergency actions, U.S. President Joe Biden has given the go-ahead for a controversial oil drilling scheme. Environmentalists say it's a carbon bomb. And despite a wet winter in the West, persistent drought and overdevelopment caused record low water levels for tens of millions of Americans. And a warning. This is going to be part of the fallout from the Reckless. dramatic roiling controversy, sort of cultural war type disinformation. Witch hunt. And you hear this. And this sounds like the news every single day, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it, it makes sense. You know, we've talked about this a lot, not just last week, but we've talked about this over the months and years, mm -hmm. that the news has to sound doom and gloom. It is very, very dire. And it gets worse, it seems, all the time. And not from, very different from when we grew up. Right. But it has to get worse. Because there's so many more news stations, so they're competing for ratings. And that's a, that's a big part of it. Now, here's what happens, because one of my favorite things, of course, Ira, is talking about psychology and how our brain is affected by these things. And one of the things that he gives in the video is this example of somebody walking through the woods. And they're walking along and they're seeing the trees and they're seeing the grass and they're seeing, you know, the, the little animals playing and, and the butterflies and whatever. And he just brings this scenario really, really clear as to what is actually going on and how our physiology is affected by this. And so, so we're walking and we're walking and, and he goes on. And you walk and you bear. There's a bear. Epinephrine, cortisol, your heart rate spikes, breathing quickens, blood vessels contract, digestion stops, your vision focuses, your pupils dilate, your hearing drops out, your muscles tense. And within an instant, your body has reworked itself. Reprioritize mm -hmm. resources, switching from a physiological state suited to exploring mm -hmm. the one that can best assess, address, or evade a threat. So our bodies are designed and that's what happens in the amygdala. 
you know, the, that part of our brain, which is fight, flight, freeze. And a lot of trauma, what it is, it's really replaying some kind of a trauma from the past. That's, that's what it is. It's constantly replays it as if it's happening in the present is really what ends up happening. And, you know, we get sucked in and you look at how people get sucked into this whole process and it's how do we end up with so much negativity? Where does it come from? And I've talked a little bit about this before, that the level of competition, you talked about it, Ira, you just kind of alluded to it just a second ago about how you have so much competition. But in a way, there's less competition because of the deregulation. A lot of the small media outlets that we used to have that were regional media outlets that got bought out by these huge companies and so what happens is a lot of the message is very uh, homogenous now. It, yeah, if you look at, if you watch the TV and if you flip through the channels, you're going to hear, a, you know, the same news repeated over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. All day um, long. All day long. It used to be six and six o'clock at night and eleven o'clock, and that's it. That's all we had to deal with where I grew up. Right, <laughs> and that that was the way I grew up as well. Yeah, um, and we grew up in both New York, but I was yeah. in uh -huh. one side of New York, and you were in the north side. I was side in the of better part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. We'll let you think that. Uh, you live in the other New York from where I live. That's right. Upstate. Um, yeah, it was like you know the grass is green. But and when the I say nice. there's a lot more competition. You know, we had two channels or we had four channels. Right. Okay. Now we sit back with our yeah. remote control yeah, and we have a thousand Fox, channels. And MSNBC and, you know, and, yes, and then the they, local channels on top of that. Right. Right. And they all do sound the same. And you kind of you know wonder, depending upon what stations you're watching, you know, who got what talking points. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems that they all have the same talking points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the, when I say there's a lot more competition... You have a choice of who you're going to watch. Right. You know, it's like... In, well, you in, could be watching a movie or something like that. So there, there's... And there are any number of... But when you had news on, you had news on three different stations. You didn't have any movies that you could watch. Right. You know, We're, so now you're not only competing. I didn't even think about that till just now, Ira. That's like, oh my gosh, that's really, really... That's really brilliant. I, it, it used to be that when you had competition, you had competition between three news sources... And that was basically what you had to watch at six o'clock in the evening. And now it's deciding to watch between news, but you could also watch movies. You could also watch sports. You could also, there are 18 million different things out there. So the news actually be, had to become as entertaining as the movies, right? which is just fascinating. I never really thought about it that way. Yeah. So you have this process of putting together news. Why is the news so negative? Well, it really gets down to what the process is and how it works. And this describes that process right here. But the trend towards the negative starts even before you, the consumer. It begins with a journalist. Subject to the same natural negativity bias, it's more likely that what a journalist ends up pitching to their editor takes on a negative slant. Subconsciously, it just feels more important to cover, more exciting to follow, and carries more potential to captivate an audience. This negative lean, of course, goes up the line influencing the editor that then greenlines the story, the news institution that publishes the story, and the award juries that recognize exceptional work. Next, the negativity bias gets rewarded by the public. It supplies a demand, receiving clicks, views, engagement, outrage, and attention from people who can't help but react to the bad news. It's all pretty intuitive. Bad news proliferates because it's biologically what reporters are drawn to report on and consumers are drawn to consume. 
And why are they biologically driven to it? It's because of that survival instinct. If there is good news, there's nothing that I need to survive and protect myself against. Bad news, I can do something, I can prepare, I can take care of myself. Good news, eh. You know, I'm, I'm not really worried about surviving. If the news is good, I'm like, oh, I can, I can be fine. I can go about my business. I can go watch sports. I can go watch an old rerun of Friends or, or something like that. <laughs> I, I won't do that. It wouldn't but, be a rerun for you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a good point. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, the bad news, and that's, that's why we're drawn to it, is because we want to... Pre- and it's the same thing with investing, you know, when we look at investments. Why is it that people are drawn to investments that are, quote-unquote, supposed to be safe and guaranteed? It's because we think that somehow we'll be able to protect ourselves from this inevitable bad downturn that is going to occur. So, hence, that is why bad news is so attractive is because of that survival instinct. Now then he gets into, well, so how do we compare the media in the U.S. versus other countries? Because you look at that and go, well, is this just a U.S. phenomenon that the media coverage is so negative? Or is it something that we're seeing in other parts of the world? And he talks about the problem of figuring it out and then talks about Okay, so what did we have that happened that helped us make this comparison, and what was the result? So check this out. For decades, critical onlookers have scanned America's pro-private, hyper-competitive, for-profit media landscape and have drawn two broad conclusions. It tends to be more negative than most, and it's getting more negative. What's been more difficult, though, was proving to what extent, if any, U.S. media skewed more negatively than other nations. With different events impacting different countries, after all, and with different cultural assumptions as to what different events mean, it's nearly impossible drawing a clean comparison between any two nations' media. Maybe, in a bigger country, there's just too much bad happening to leave airtime for the good. Well, that wasn't until one story came to impact every single media market on the planet at the exact same time. Really like no other phenomena before it, the COVID-19 pandemic and its near universal weight offered the rarest of opportunities to compare media tone across countries. And that was it. So you had one thing and it affected the entire world so we could look to see how it was different. And what they found, which was fascinating, was that the negative news, and they, they basically did some kind of a, a determination as to whether the news was negative or whether it was positive. And what they found was that in the United States, that the negativity of the media coverage and the story, the same exact story, same exact thing, it was 80% worse here in the United States. But that makes sense. That's huge. But why are we so much more negative? It's just so interesting that we're that much more negative than other countries around the world. What is it culturally going on here in the United States that... That, that makes it that way. And that may be it, culture. You think about it, what country around the world is as diverse as the United States is? I don't know if there, I can't, no, I don't I think, can't there think of anything. I think there is a culture uh, more diverse or as diverse as the United States. That's why we're labeled the melting pot. Because we have <laughs> yes. every nation yeah. here yeah. living here. Yeah. But I would think that... <clears throat> The negativity by the news media is actually by design. Right. Because 
they want us tuned in. Mm-hmm. And why do they want us tuned in? But why wouldn't they want the same tuning in to see the commercials in other countries? I know where you're going. They want us to see the commercials. They want to see right. the ads. They want they they have a competition for eyeballs on the screen. But it's interesting that we have more negativity. And I don't know that I know the answer to this. Is there more competition or less competition or fewer choices in other countries? Or what is it? Because I really like your idea earlier, Ira, that it's the idea... You know, we talk about it that it's entertaining, and we talk about infotainment. I think it was John Vogel, actually, the way he put it. Well, he he, he referred to the investment news media as investment. Investment. That's what it was. It was investment. Right. Um, yeah, that's right. Because you should think about it. I mean, Jim Cramer. It's very entertaining. Right. About investments. Right. Right. Which is not supposed to be right. entertaining. This is not supposed to be. You know, this isn't how we get our entertainment playing around with our money. Right. Well, and, and yet that's what we do, isn't it? I mean, it's just crazy. But the question is, 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 are there times that maybe things look better and the coverage gets more positive? And that was the next thing he dealt with right there, is that particular issue. Is it, you know, when things are good, does, do they start to lighten up and the mood gets a little bit lighter or not? Early in the COVID pandemic, there was no news but COVID news, but not all was negative. There were times when things got better. For every upslope, there was a downslope, but you could hardly tell based on the news. Research into the matter found that the degree of negativity of COVID news had little, in fact, sometimes inverse correlation with the COVID case count at the given moment. This meant that while a news consumer might have theoretically known that things were comparatively better or worse, it didn't necessarily feel that way since the tone of the media inputs stayed consistently dire. That is interesting to me. It didn't matter whether things were getting better or not. And we may say that there are some political issues there because, you know, let's face it, there was a campaign going on at Mm -hmm. that particular point in time. And the more bad things looked, the more, you know, the incumbent looked bad. And, and, you know, so there could be that case right there for sure. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why it is so negative, especially here, is because our country is so divided. Mm-hmm. And that's so, what I meant by the melting pot, and you yeah. have such a, a diverse set of opinions. Yeah, but with the the political landscape in this country, I don't know if any other country is as politically divided mm-hmm. as we are. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I you you look over in Europe, and and there's a lot of division in in a lot of places. Some of the th- you know, like for example, remember the Brexit mm-hmm. and how divided people were regarding Brexit and what a fight there was there for that. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard to know. But, you know, as from an investing standpoint, let's, let's just take a look at it this way. When we have problems, what do we do? We look for ways to solve our problems. We think, look for things to make us feel better or whatever. And, you know, as an investor, I wouldn't necessarily look at this and say, oh, the end is near and we ought to just all pack it in because companies will come up with things that we will buy to make us feel better. So, I own those companies that come up with those things. Right. But let's just talk really, really briefly briefly before we go to break, because I think this is important. One of the things I started this whole segment out with was this conversation, and the conversation was regarding the currency and the dollar and whether the, the end was near for the dollar and whether we were just, we were all in trouble. And that was, that was a big issue. Are we all in trouble? And do we have 
any kind of hope. And the, the thing that was talked about so much was that you had countries like, oh, China, oh, Russia, and they were coming up with this new currency, and it was going to be gold-backed, gold-backed, right? And the idea behind a gold-backed currency is, hey, this could be really, really great. We could have something that's actually backed by something instead of being a fiat currency, right? That was the issue. Now, what has been happening is people have been talking about the weakening of the U.S. dollar and how the U.S. dollar is looking versus other currencies and how the Chinese, Chinese yuan and China would just absolutely love to have the currency that overtakes the U.S. dollar as the world currency. And that was, and I've, I've heard that all week long still, that is still going on. And one of the things that they pointed out is that the dollar has been weakening versus other currencies around the world. And this is true if you look at this from October until now. But one of the things that I did is I went and I was looking around just to see what was being said about this. And I was looking at data on the dollar versus other currencies. And you can go do this yourself. You can go out there and you can say the dollar versus the yen, uh, the dollar versus the euro. You can look out there on the internet. And what you'll notice is you have the ability to look at various time periods. If you look at two years, and just for the fun of it, you can go do this yourself. Go look for at two years. And what you'll notice is something very interesting, the dollar versus the yen, the dollar versus the euro the dollar versus the Australian dollar, the dollar versus the Canadian dollar. And what you'll notice is that in most cases, with most currencies, the dollar is actually worth more right now versus those other currencies because they trade against each other. And the dollar can become strong. When the dollar becomes strong, then what happens is that imports are cheaper. If the dollar is weak, that our exports are cheaper for other people. So there, there are benefits on both sides. But what happens is that if you look at it, you'll notice that the dollar in almost every case is stronger than those other currencies two years later. And that is post, you know, if we look at in, in, in all of this stuff, well, let me put this a different way is actually before the whole Russian thing happened with Ukraine. All of it's before that. It's taking that out of the equation. And what happens is if you look over 10 years, there was a good article, and I, I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit. Kathy Jones uh, had written this from Schwab. And it was talking about, you know, there has been a long-term trend towards currency diversification and financial global transactions and trade. And her point was this. Other countries are trying to diversify away from just one currency. It's been going on a long time. It's not anything new, number one. But her point was that the dollar is not likely to lose its dominance anytime soon. And there's been all this speculation lately that the dollar is on the verge of a major decline, might even lose its status as the world's major reserve currency, de-dollarization, or the movement away from using the U.S. dollar as the primary currency, she says, as the currency of exchange in global and trade and investment. It's been become a hot topic in financial publications. All the financial firms are talking about this because, you know, if they can get you scared and buying and selling, buying and selling, that's how they make a lot of money. They, they make a lot of money when you're moving your money around. 
And they're saying, oh, it appears to stem from the news that China's beginning to use the yuan in, in commodity trades and with a handful of partners and, you know, like Brazil and Argentina. And one of the points she makes is that it's a, it's a long ways from that. I mean, if you look at the amount of trades that have taken place in the yuan, you know, the Chinese currency, it's only 2% of global trade. <laughs> I mean, it's not a big deal. Uh, and yet this being made into a big deal. And you can look at short-term evidence the dollar has weakened versus other currencies, but that's happened a lot of times. You know, during 2000, remember 2000, 2010, we had international parts of the portfolio uh, really did tremendously well versus U.S. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't anything where the sky is falling, the sky is falling, you know, like you're hearing now. But, you know, if you look at the 10-year data uh, on the dollar versus other currencies, I mean, it's, it, it, the chart looks like this. It goes down a little bit, it goes up, and I'm just looking at it. It goes flat uh, from 2012 through 2014. And then from 2015, 16, it went up. In 2017 and the beginning of 2018, it went down. So it wasn't straight up under Trump. You know, you know when people say, oh, it's just because of Trump. Then, you know, 2000, uh, you know, 19, it goes uh, up and then 20 and then 20 comes down some during COVID, you know, went down during the year of COVID and then 21 it's up. And you just see at the tail end, this tail end is a little drop, but overall it's like this big upward slope and a little drop at the end. And then all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork and you go, well, why are they coming out of the woodwork like this? Well, part of it, you just got to recognize it is the political landscape that we live in. And that it behooves each side, regardless of which one you're on, it behooves them to make people a little bit nervous because they know that it will drive voting. You know, it will drive people showing up at the polls. It will drive people's interest in the political process. That's going to be part of it. Uh, the investing industry, sometimes they kind of do a weak uh, defense you know, regarding investing, and sometimes it's very weak, unfortunately. And that is because the investing industry, by and large, still, still makes a lot more money on transactions, money in motion. If they can get you selling out when you're scared and buying when you're euphoric, uh, and, and there are people out there, let's face it, there are people that would love for you to sell because they would like to buy at a bargain basement price, price because maybe they missed out on the upturn, you know, in the beginning of the, of the first part of 2023 or, you know, whatever. I mean, whoever, what, who knows what those reasons are. And, you know, the, the incentives and motivations are myriad. So what happens and what you recognize that you can be a pawn in a big negative game to try to get you to do things quite often that are just simply not in your best interest. And that's why I thought it was so critical that I do a segment on this and really well, talk about that. Well, all I want to add to that is really this. <clears throat> I started in this business in March of 1984 and I have watched the dollar increase and decrease, and increase, yeah. and decrease, and increase, and decrease. And I think long after I'm gone, the dollar will increase, and decrease, and increase, and decrease. <laughs> yeah, and, and the likelihood of us all of a sudden go, oh, you know what, as the reserve currency, 
I think we're just going to trust China and we're going to trust Russia. <laughs> and I'll tell <laughs> that you, they're going to come up with something that's going to be great for the rest of the world. And, and, I don't and, think so. And I'll add something else to that. You yeah. know, as you know, Elaine and I love to travel. Yeah. <clears throat> and I can exchange money with any hotel worker in the hallway and get more money than the banks will give me when I go in to exchange my money. Oh, is that right? Uh huh. It's like <laughs> I, everybody wants American dollars. That's interesting, and and that is it. And when we look at that, it is. And people say, well, you know, it's this. The, the devaluation of the dollar, there's always been some interesting things that I've talked about there. Remember they did that story? Remember a long time ago I did that story where it was about the South African, you know, they would go out to sea uh-huh. and they would come back and they would have a foot race to get paid. And then the dollars, the $20 bills, they were all U.S. dollars. But the $20 bills that were n- more newly minted were worth more than the old minted. And it was $20 bills. If you used the, the $1973 bill in America or you used the $2021 bill in America, they were worth 20 bucks, both right. of them. But in their economy, they were worth a little bit different. So there's always that. Well, when, we were, when we were in Peru, mm-hmm. they would not take a dollar that had a little tear in it or folded a certain way. They just wanted and they'll take a taped one here. Clean money. Yeah, they'll take a taped one here, right? Uh-huh. That is funny. <laughs> that is fun. All right. So, you know, when you hear these rumors and, and all of these doom and gloom scenarios, recognize that there may be an agenda behind some of these things. And recognize that the media in general, their agenda is negativity because negativity sells. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.